Hey, everybody. Fist bump two people and say it's a great day. Come on. We got to get. You got to get to know people. Two people. That's not too bad. There you go. You got two people. Get three. Get one more. That way there's three. I'm fist bumping. I got you in the back. Yes. Thank you all. It's a great day, man. How crazy has this series been? Has anybody been jumping into the 30-day challenge? Okay, I see some hands. I love it, and they're growing. This is awesome. So here's the thing. It's not too late. You could even start today. How crazy is that? You could start today. We've been talking about this 30-day challenge these past 30 days. What we've been trying to do, which has been really crazy, uh, but not so crazy, is we've been saying, hey, no matter what, let's pray over every meal. Let's say grace over every meal. Let's pray over every meal. And let's try to get together as a family at least three times a week. Now, I've given you a cheat option each and every week. Shameless plug, I'm not going to stop. I'm going to say, join us on Thursday nights. Come to our greenhouse gathering. We've honestly, you may think, oh, dear Lord, he talks a long time on Sunday. So is he going to talk a long time on Thursday nights? Maybe. Sometimes I do. But over these past few weeks, I haven't. I've just got to talk and get to know everyone better. And we've gathered around a table. Girls have been getting to know girls. Guys have been getting to know guys. It's been great. It's a good time. We've been just diving in with each other and learning about each other. Because sometimes we can take for granted that we know everything about everyone, right? Like, especially when it comes to family and especially when we see each other all the time, we think, man, I know everything there is to know about this person. And what's great about this and what I love about this 30-day challenge is this. Only the undiscoverable is what's left. And isn't that fun? And the only way we can do that sometimes is through gathering at the table. So if you would like to come be a part of that, let us know. We would love to hang out with you on Thursday night. And just, hey, jump in. Maybe this week you haven't had to take advantage of that. Maybe you're trying to figure out how to make three meals work. Maybe it's just one meal this week with your family. Try to let it make that happen. Uh, you know, I got to share uh, over the last few weeks, we had some missionaries come uh, and hang out with us. And I actually got to talk back and forth with them this week. And they were talking about when they got to hang out with us about hanging out at the table and they're moving to a new city trying to reach an unreached people group and they said man we have we we just we like what you're trying to do we've been talking about it we've been challenged by it and it it shocked me because i was like man that's crazy like if i'm a missionary that's awesome but if i'm hanging out with my family all the time how do i get to know new people well i invite them in to hanging out with my family and that's what he said they're trying to do is as they get to know more people and they gather around the family table, like the people group they're trying to reach, like the whole goal is to try to gather around the table for a meal. So they're saying, hey, well, what if we invited them to be part of our family meal? How crazy would that be? And so that's what they got over this past few weeks. And I want to tell you that's really awesome and also challenging to say, man, somebody else is taking this and making it even better. So that's cool. So I love that. So I don't know where you are on this. You're trying to look. I see everybody looking. I'm shaking a little bit. It's going to be okay. We're going, we're, going, we're going to surf a little bit up here. It's going to be good. I promise you. I promise you. And if it goes, it goes. God's faithful. It's going to be great. If it goes, it goes. So this is the last week of Reclaimed. And if you've been watching online, you got to hear some really cool things last week. We got to talk about the food preaching to us. How cool was that? Like, I think if there's nothing else, we all remember applesauce, right? Like, there's nothing else we remember. We remember horseradish and applesauce, how crazy that is. If, if you missed it, go back and watch it online. Uh, it's toward the end of the message that we talked about that. But last week, we let the food preach. Last week, we shared a meal together. And this week is going to be a message that I want to tell it to you this way. I had to write this down, so I'll make sure I say it right. So hang in here with me. This will be the most encouraging message you'll probably not want to hear. I'm going to say that so it sinks in. This will be the most encouraging message that you probably don't want to hear. 
So now everybody's either got their guard up or guard down. So I want you to get your guard down. Just think about this. It's going to be the most encouraging message that you don't want to hear because this last week of Reclaimed, we're going to talk about this topic of being persecuted, being persecuted. And that's crazy. Like When we talk about being persecuted, that can be a little crazy. And where this is coming from is Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. We've been walking through the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes as we're gathering around the table. Maybe that we know it. And verse 10 through 12 says this. If you've got your Bible, you're watching along. Hey, real quick, as you're getting there, I just want to say maybe you've got your Bible and you're gathering along. But remember, if you have the Bible app on your phone, if you want to go, you'll see our event is live. It actually has all the scripture that you'll need on there. So maybe it's not easy to find the scripture. That's totally fine. Or you're watching online, you can tab to the Bible tab if you're watching on live.thevine.tv. Or if you've got the Bible app on your phone, it has all of that scripture there for you. So that'll help you out as you're following along. But Matthew 5, verse 10 through 12 says this, Blessed are those who were persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you, <laughs> here's where it gets crazy, when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Verse 12 goes on to say this, Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I said it's the most encouraging message you'll probably never want to hear. Because I don't know about you, but have you ever just felt like everyone's waiting for you to fall? Have you ever just felt like the world is just waiting for you to fall when you just want to press forward? Like you feel like there's so many forces against you, so many things against you that just want you to fail? That that is overwhelming you? Like that feeling is overwhelming you more than pressing forward? And I think Jesus is ending off the message here. It's really crazy, this Sermon on the Mount. He's ending off there on purpose to let the disciples know what's about to come. Like he's letting everyone know what's about to come. You will be persecuted. And so when I thought about this and I was getting ready with that, I thought about, well, maybe everyone will connect with everything being against them. But that's kind of a mindset. That can be a mindset. Maybe if I tell it to you this way, what if, what if it's like this? I, I think of it like, how many folks remember trick-or-treating? You love that, right? Like, I know it's not fall yet, but we can look forward to that. It's fall time. We talked about apples last week. You're welcome. So <laughs> apples, fall time. Like, how many of you picked through and found your favorite candy, right? And what did you do with the old candy? You bartered with your siblings. <laughs> you gave that to your parents, right? Like, like you went that, you tried, to, you tried to ante up just to get the good things. Here's where I'm going with this. Sometimes in our walk with Christ, we like to pick and choose the good promises that he makes us, but we neglect the promises that seem hard. Because, see, here's the thing. When I read that, Jesus never said that I would have everything I need financially, that I would be set, that I would have a billion dollars, that I would have all the jets, or I would have a million dollars, whatever that looks like. He never said, go achieve the American dream. He never said, my kids will always make the right choices. He never said, my marriage will be perfect. He never said, my spouse will be perfect. He never said that my job would be the job that I always wanted, and he never promised no rain on the vacation at the beach, right? Like, he never promised that. He did promise, though, that we will be persecuted in his name. And sometimes that's a tough pill to swallow. Just like the Mary Janes, if you will, at, at Halloween, we can get stuck in not liking the good candy, or maybe it's candy corn. We can get stuck thinking that's not a promise of God, but Jesus is promising this will happen. And so many of us, 
It happens around our own table, does it not? Like sometimes the people we feel like wanting us to fail the most may be sitting around our table, right? Like doesn't it feel that way sometimes? Maybe it's they don't know Jesus and they don't know who Jesus is. And so, and so they see that you're all sold out. You're bought into who Jesus is. Like, like you're a Christian. You're doing everything God's called you to do. And all of a sudden, it's like they just want you to fail. And so today, as we end this series, I think Jesus knew we were going to go through that. But we're going to see it might be a little bit deeper than we think. Like Jesus knew, hey, disciples, you're about to be persecuted when I'm gone. So when you look back on this message, know that I've talked about all the blessings you will have. But in the end, I want you to know that you will be persecuted for my name's sake. So as we go on, you know I'm going to wrap John 15 in here. Jesus also promised in John 15, this, John 15, verses 18 through 20. If you've got your Bible, you can flip there. And then I promise you, we won't be too crazy. We'll be in 1 Peter after this, okay? So John 15 says this about what Jesus said about this persecution that we will face. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. And as it is, you do not belong to this world. But I have chosen you out of this world. This is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, a servant is no greater than the master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. I think Jesus is setting us up to this moment to where we can know we're going to experience persecution in our life. We're going to experience persecution. So what do we do about it? Today, that's what we're going to talk about. What do we do about it? Because if we're faithful followers of Christ faithful followers of Christ, like we're all into what God's called us to be. We're faithful followers of Christ. We will be persecuted and the world will be against us. And sometimes that's hard to think because we think about the positive mindset. We think about having our mind in the right frame, but hey, if I'm following Jesus, there will be something coming against me. And today, what do we do about it? So to set this up, we're going to be in 1 Peter 4 today. If you've got your Bible, that's literally where we're going to be. I've said this like three times if you've got your Bible. Sorry. If you want to flip in Scripture, it's all the way at the back. It's one of the last books of the New Testament. And we know this guy named Peter. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4. We're going to talk about and set this up where Peter is and what he's doing. But 1 Peter chapter 4. Peter's this guy that followed Jesus. Uh, he's the guy that, that, that looked at Jesus and said, you are the Son of God. And in the next breath told Jesus that he, he would go to the cross and that, that he didn't need to, to endure the cross. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. Like, he's that guy. He's also that guy that walked on water. How many people do you know that's done that? We've thought people have. I'm not walking on water even though I'm floating. Uh, we thought people have, right? Like, we've been in moments where people walk on water, right? Like, 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 there's nobody that I know, like, in my family line. That'd be a really cool thing to be like, hey, that dude walked on water. You know what I mean? I'd probably have it framed and signed somewhere. Peter's also the one that Jesus looked and said, hey, upon this rock, I will build my church. He's talking about the rock being Jesus. He's saying, upon this rock, I'll build my church, right? So this guy, Peter, knows Jesus pretty well. Like, he knows Jesus pretty well. He's the guy who denied him three times, and then Jesus restored him. Uh, he's the fisherman that was there. Like, he knows Jesus pretty well. And so he's writing this church. He's writing the, the churches, uh, the Gentile churches, if you will, and this letter in 1 Peter and 1 Peter 4.12 says this when it talks about persecution. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you 
as though something strange were happening to you. You ever felt like something strange is happening to you? Like, you're doing the right thing. Like, I'm not talking paranormal things or whatever that is. Like, I'm not Stranger Things or whatever that show is. I, I, don't, I don't get to watch it. Uh, or whatever that is. Or, or Unsolved Mysteries back in the day. Like, you just ever feel something strange is happening to you? Like, something's coming against you? Peter's talking to that church there this way. And let me build up what, where Peter's writing to this Christian church. So, in this time is the time of Nero. How many people know who Nero is? Have ever heard of Nero? I'm not talking about the CD burning software. I'm not talking about Napster days. I'm talking about Nero, like Nero, the Emperor Nero. If there's one thing you'll never learn about me, I'm definitely a nerd. I'm sorry. It is what it is. Like, I love the history. I was just talking about some things here that reminded me of something earlier today. Nerdy. It's just me. It's just who I am. So we're going to have some nerd things to talk about today. So get ready. So Nero is, is, is emperor when Peter's writing this letter. So if you know anything about Nero, what's the thing that you know about him most? He's known for burning Rome, right? Like, that's what we know about him is Nero was the emperor that was, he, he wanted new so much. Like, he wanted to build new buildings and do things so much. He goes to the Roman Senate. They say no. And his insatiable appetite for something new was so great that he burned the whole city and blamed it on the Christians. Sound familiar? Don't point fingers. Like, <laughs> sound familiar? We think that that's new to our times, right? Like that people can be that way. When we hear about dictatorship and we can hear about, about things like that, we think that's new. Well, this was happening in the time, time of Nero, time that, that the church was, was birthed out of, the church that we know right now. But also Nero's known for killing his mom, and he killed both his wives. What a stand-up guy. <laughs> He's somebody you want on your team, right? He's a crazy guy, right? Well, here's what I will tell you about Nero. There's some things we're going to learn about Nero because it's important to see what Peter's writing to when he's telling him, don't be surprised about the fiery ordeal that is coming to you. Because right now, in this time, because the Christians are being blamed for the Roman city burning, they are getting persecuted. Like, what's happening is they are getting killed for their faith. Like, Christians, like somebody says, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of the way, like, I, I believe in Jesus. The Romans are literally killing them left and right because the emperor says kill them. It's their fault that the city burned. Isn't that crazy? Like if we went out on the street today at lunch and said, hey, I follow Jesus and, and you got killed for it, man, I don't know if I'd want to be a part of that, would you? <laughs> like that could be crazy, right? I was just here to get lunch. Like I don't know what's happening. That's exactly what was happening to the Christian church. And Peter's telling the, this Gentile church, he's, he's writing multiple churches at this time, saying, hey, listen, listen, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you. Don't be surprised. So before we go on, the first way that we can deal with persecution in the church is Jesus said it. Jesus promised us we would experience it. Peter's saying don't be surprised by it, so it's going to be really hard, but I'm going to tell you what we've got to do first. We've got to expect it. We've got to expect it. So if we, if, if we don't think we're going to be persecuted for our faith, then maybe there's something wrong with what we believe. Because, see, Peter's telling us, hey, you're going to be persecuted. Peter's remembering Jesus in John 15 saying, hey, you're going to be persecuted. Peter's remembering Jesus talking in Matthew 5. You will be persecuted for my name's sake. Like, you will be persecuted. You will be insulted. The world will be against you. And yet so many times we see Nero and we think of the church and we think, man, that's crazy. And we take for granted the freedoms we have, but we still think that, man, that was a crazy time in the church. It must have been the most persecuted time of the church ever. Here's what I want to tell you. 
Here's what's even crazier when it comes to persecution. The church has been under persecution since its beginning. Beginning. Like, look at the Old Testament, the people who followed God and did what he said. Like, they started out in slavery. Like, we look at the time they were, there was Roman rule. The temple is about to be destroyed when Jesus is walking the earth. And we see the persecution where Saul turns to Paul and, like, Stephen's murdered. And we see the church growing from persecution. And we think, thank God we're not in those times. What if I told you the last decade has been the most persecuted that the church has ever gone under? Would you believe that? Would you think that the church is persecuted right now? What if I told you around the world right now, 322 Christians will be killed this month for their faith? 322. How many is that a day? Like 10 a day? 10 a day. So every other hour, a Christian on average right now over the past 10 years, that's not like up to date of today. This is 2017 to 2007-2017. 322 Christians a month were killed for their faith around the world. 214 Christian churches were destroyed because they were Christian churches. Isn't that crazy? But we think when Nero's burning down the kingdom, that, the, that that's just crazy. Like Nero's burning down Rome, like that church was under persecution. What if I told you that this is the stat that blew me away the most as I was doing research? And I'm sure as you dive in, I would encourage you to do research too because it's crazy to even see this. Because it's almost unbelievable. But this is what Jesus promised we would walk through. Approximately 700 Christians this month, or per month, excuse me, will be beaten, imprisoned, or raped for their faith. Beaten, imprisoned, or raped for their faith. Because they profess Jesus as Lord. So I'm telling you, this is the most encouraging message you never want to hear. I know this is a heavy weight to hear this. But there is peace. We'll get to that. But the thing is, so many times what I worry about is why in the world would we not think we would face opposition as followers of Christ? Because so many times we think we won't, and we absolutely will. You see, it looks different across the world when it comes to our persecution. In the Middle East, you might get beheaded for your faith, right? Like you hear Christians are beheaded for their faith. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're, you've heard of a new Muslim convert, a Christian convert that was Muslim or, or was in the Islamic faith. Do you know, like, when they profess Jesus as Lord, their family disowns them, and it's a life-or-death situation? Like, the reason they get out of their country is so that they're not killed? That's persecution. And so you think, thank God we're in America. That doesn't happen in America. The church isn't persecuted in America. Well, I will tell you, inside of the, the county we're in, we have five colleges here. Maybe you're a college student, and you didn't get the second date because you're pursuing purity over just getting in with the in crowd and that's what seems hard for you and you're getting persecuted for that and what I mean by that is people are alienating you for pursuing purity they're insulting you making fun of you because of your faith that's persecution that is the definition of persecution maybe that's where you sit maybe you're the one at the company picnic over the next few weeks you pray over every meal because you took the 30-day challenge when the sales figures come in you pray over it you pray at every meeting and people make fun of you because you pray and they're like do you believe in God? Like, that's crazy. Do you really believe what you say? That's persecution. Christ promised that the world would come against us in that. So do we put our, our dukes up and we want to fight? Like, do we do those things? No, we absolutely don't. we got to trust God's promises. And as I was getting ready for this and I was talking, we're, we're going to dive in more of who Nero is and what Nero's doing. But it made me think of this. So I'm, I, I'm a nerd, but I like sports. So hang in here with me. I'm a nerd, but I like sports. So I think we can connect on this. So if you can't, it's okay. Just throw something at me. 
and we'll go there. So if you play sports, and this is why we may struggle with persecution here in the church right now, like in America, to be honest with you, because there are things happening that we're persecuted against. Like I said, that college person or at work, you just may not realize it because we have so many churches in America. We don't realize that. We, we don't realize that the church is under persecution. Back to the sports analogy. If I'm playing a sport, if I sit on the bench during the game and there's an opposing coach, do you think he knows who I am? Do you think he cares who I am if I'm sitting on the bench? He probably doesn't, right? Like, I'm not affecting his outcome. I don't care what sports you play. Maybe it's soccer, baseball, lacrosse, football, basketball. But if I'm sitting on the bench, I'm not a starter. I sit on the bench, and I'm not all in, and, and the coach doesn't know who I am. He probably doesn't even know my jersey number outside of looking at the roster, right? Like, I'm no I'm, – I, I'm not opposing him in any way. I'm not affecting his outcome in any way. I'm just sitting on the bench. He probably doesn't care who I am, right? We'll unpack this in a second. But what happens when I get off the bench and I get in the game? Now does that coach care who I am? The opposing coach cares a lot who I am then because I'm affecting the outcome of the game. I'm affecting his win or loss. I'm affecting what he's doing. Like there's something at stake when I step into the game, when I come off the sidelines, when I step off the bench and I put the jersey on or I take the warm-ups off and you see just the jersey. Like there's something about that. When I step onto the court, then the coach cares what's happening. Our walk with Jesus is just the same. When we sit on the sidelines, we may not experience persecution because, hey, we casually go to church. We're not all in at what we do. We don't pray big, bold prayers. We pray every now and again. We give when we can. We serve when we can. It's out of convenience. Now, I know folks in this house aren't that way, but I can, I can imagine there are some folks that may, maybe are watching online or maybe that's where we are right now that, that may feel that way, like we're casually giving. We're casually sitting on the sidelines, and the reason we're not experiencing uh, persecution or seeing the persecution is because we're no threat to the enemy winning. We're no threat to Satan getting what he wants. We're sitting on the sideline. We're not on it. We don't believe in big, bold prayers. We're not taking next steps of faith. We don't care about giving. Like, that doesn't matter to us. It's convenience. And I will tell you, that's not what Jesus died for. He promised you persecution because he died for you to be in the game. He died for you to pray big prayers. He died for you to be all in. He died for you to get into the game. He died for you to make a difference. He died for you to step in and show the world a light in the darkness. That is why he died. And I will promise you, if you are faithfully following Jesus, serving with all you have, you're all in at what you do, you're praying big, bold prayers, you're taking your gifts and you're using it to advance the kingdom, you will experience opposition. It's not a question. It is a promise. So it makes me wonder, where do we sit at? Do we see that there's persecution or do we just roll with it? Because I can tell you there are times in my life that I care more about fitting in than I care about making a difference. I care more about just, just okay, well, as long as they can be at my table, I'm not going to talk about Jesus much. Like I'll, I'll try to work it in there at some point, right? That's not what Jesus died for. He died. So that we could reclaim the table because he's already reclaimed it. He died so that we could be all in. He died so that we could make a difference. He died and said, even though you're going to experience this opposition, I promise you, you will win because I've already defeated it. I've already beat everything that's going to come against you. If you just trust me and get in the game, it'll make a huge difference. But yet when it comes to persecution, so many times I don't expect it to happen. And yet the word 
from God is clear. It will happen when I'm faithfully following him. I wrote this down because I wanted to make sure I, I said this correctly. Uh, you know, sometimes I feel like we treat Christianity like a playground and not a battlefield. We want it to be a playground where everybody has a good time and everybody enjoys the ride. And listen, nothing wrong with that. I'll promise you, you will have peace with Christ. You will have peace that passes all understanding. You will have insurmountable joy. You will. But it's not about a playground. It's a battlefield. And when there's a battlefield, I expect to get shot at. That's the whole point of getting in the game. Hey, when I go out on the floor to make a difference in a game or I go out onto the field, I expect the team to come against me, right? Like, if they don't, then are we all just going to get trophies and everybody wins? Like, that's not what this is. Jesus didn't come so that we could just do that, so that it could just be a playground. It's a battlefield. There is something out there that is fighting for you, fighting for you, and opposing you. And I just wonder why our Christianity is that way. We get so stuck in that. One of the things Jesus has been reminding me is, hey, like, I'm a control freak. Who here is a control freak? Like, who likes to have control? I think we all love to control our outcomes, right? Like, we all love to control our outcomes, right? And so many times, one of these things Jesus has just been reminding me, and hopefully it's going to set you free today, is this. So many times I get upset when something seems like it's falling apart when I'm doing the right thing. Hey, you're in college, you're pursuing purity, you feel undateable because you can't get a second date. You're doing the right thing, but it feels like it's falling apart. Hey, you're at the job, you keep having promotion after promotion passed up on you, and you can't understand what it is, but you know God's called you to be there. You know this is what God made you to do, and yet all of a sudden all these other people are getting promoted above you. That, that, don't, that aren't ethical, that don't do the right thing. Like, you can have that. Maybe God's called you to do something big, and it feels like it's falling apart. And here's what I want to tell you. Jesus has just been reminding me, why are you upset when it feels like something's going wrong when you're doing the right thing, when you're being obedient? I promised you that would happen. It's going to happen that way. It's going to happen that way. It's going to. The Christian church is standing there, and the city is burned. Like, remember that. The city's burned. It's burned to the ground. Like, everything they know has been burned and ashes, and they got blamed for it. Like, if I go home and my neighbor's house is burned down and they blame me for it and I get arrested and I get killed, I'm going to be pretty upset about it. I'm going to have some family members that are pretty upset about it. Peter knows that's what's happening here. Jesus has been reminding me of this through this passage, too, like that. Like, why would I be upset if it's going wrong sometimes when I'm just doing the right thing? I'm taking the next step that he's called me to, to do. You know, maybe the things that seem like it's going wrong is actually proof that God's called you to do something. I wonder if we would trust that or do we want the comfort and easy way out where it just be really easy, right? Like, like I should make charming or I should marry my princess and it should be great and it's supposed to be happily ever after this is how the book went like I saw the story Cinderella's this way the slipper fits it's supposed to work this way right but anybody who's married will tell you it takes work it takes work right and there aren't easy days there aren't easy days I'm sure and there aren't hard days any relationships that way Sometimes I can feel like your biggest persecution because somebody won't put the toilet seat down or up or the toilet paper is not like a waterfall the correct way. It's the other way, right? Like it can feel that way, right? 
Sometimes we can feel that way. So I just want you to know that the enemy's not wanting you to be successful. Jesus promised that the world's going to come against you. Do you trust that promise? Do you expect that to happen? See, Peter's telling these people, you know, in 1 Peter 4.12, it was saying, don't be surprised at the fiery trial. Well, let me tell you what's actually happening with that. So get ready. I, I think you're going to laugh a little bit, but I'm going to be real with you because it's crazy. Peter's writing the Gentile church who have seen their family members murdered for the Christian faith. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I don't have anybody that I know of immediately. Maybe they are that have just been murdered for their faith. Uh, I, I, don't, I, don't have, like, I don't have them in my contacts right now that have been murdered for their faith. You know, like, like they've passed on for their faith. They, they haven't. Now, they've been persecuted, but they haven't been. Peter is writing this saying, the fiery trial, the, literally what he's talking about is, so Nero in his saneness, such a great guy. Like I said, he burned some great MP3s, right? Like Nero in his saneness used to take Christians, dip them in wax alive, have their heads sticking out, put them on a tree and light the tree on fire and have a garden party. Stand up guy. Literally a fiery trial. A human candle is what he's talking about in 1 Peter 4.12 when he's writing this church. He's saying, I know that you have had people that are literally lit on fire with a fiery trial that's pressing against you. There are things coming against you. And we can be so caught up in it that we may not expect it and be caught off guard. And he's saying, don't be surprised by it. Like Jesus promised this would happen. Like, I don't know about you, but I'm probably not going to your garden party if I see people are being lit on fire. This isn't Bath and Body Works. It's not Yankee Candle or Christian Candle, whatever it is. Like, I'm not going to go to your party, especially if that's my relative. I'm going to be upset, right? But yeah, so many times how we follow Jesus is exactly what happens. The enemy is trying to burn us down at every step we take. The enemy wants us to be that horseradish. The enemy wants us to be stuck in that. And yet we don't expect that. And so today, it's not all doom and gloom. Hang in here with me. It's not all doom and gloom. I just want you to know that when persecution comes, expect it. Because it's going to. Because if you expect it, it's going to be easier to move forward into what God's called you to do. Peter knows this. Peter's telling them this when he's talking about this. He goes on to say in 1 Peter 4, 13, he starts by saying, don't be surprised at the, excuse me, at the fiery trial. But in 1 Peter 4, verse 13, he says, but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. So your relatives have been killed. You're getting ready to go to the stake. Everything's about to get crazy. And rejoice in your sufferings. How crazy does that sound? So why should I rejoice in my sufferings? So that I may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Remember what Jesus did at Gethsemane? I don't know if you remember. You're in Ma if you ever go in the Gospel of Matthew, it talks about what Jesus says. He's praying and his, he's praying so hard. There's blood coming from his hands. And, and he says, Father... Father, if there's any way that this cup should pass over me, but your will be done. Like, if there's any way this cup could pass over me, let it, but your will be done. One of the ways we as Christians get to partner in Christ is in his suffering. Would we be willing to accept that as a follower of Christ? Or do we just want to think that it's, it shouldn't be that way? Like, this is how we partner in Christ. Like, we get to be refined by the fire. We get to see things and be a part of what Jesus did and what he's doing. And yet, so many times, we don't want to be in that because we want to be comfortable. 
See, so many times today we're so, we're so caught up in it that we don't understand. We're trying to get the most likes, the most retweets, the most, the most uh, comments, the most friends, the most amount of, I don't know, followers, whatever this looks like. We're, we try to fit in so much that we've made Christianity so palatable and so easy that we forget and diminish its power when we just try to tame it down. What Jesus did took power. He overcome the grave and there was suffering involved for our benefit. He took on our sins, suffered the death that we deserved. But yet when we just make it taste easy and don't expect persecution from it, he was persecuted. Like, what are we, what are we doing? Like, are we really following Christ? Or are we just picking the candy that we like the most? Because you know what happened in Jesus' time? That's exactly what the people did to him, the religious people that knew exactly who he was supposed to be. He was standing right in front of them. They picked the candy they liked the most and said, you don't fit that candy mold. You're saying these things, which are the good candy, but you're saying these other things and we don't buy it. And what they do to him? <laughs> they killed him, right? They persecuted him. So why would we think that it's any different? You know, it made me think Jesus, Jesus had 12 people following him around everywhere he went. I wonder if that would be okay. Like he had 12 people following everywhere he went. And then the multitudes gathered afterwards. And he promised those 12 you would be persecuted. One of those 12 betrayed him. So he wasn't there. But he goes on. And if you look at all the apostles and all the disciples, they were all persecuted in this time when this letter was written. Why do we think it would stop there? It doesn't. In the end, the persecution of the church is what's going to bring us all together. If you go to the end of Revelation, you read all of that. It's going to say the church will be persecuted. When the Antichrist comes, the church will be persecuted. But it ultimately, even though the suffering's there, it's only temporary only temporary we will be brought home so the second thing we've got to do is endure it the first thing we've got to do with persecution is expect it the second thing is we've got to endure it the second thing is we've got to endure it and if you're taking notes this is going to make sense here if you're taking notes hopefully i want you to make two circles you're going to have four parts to the circle on each circle i couldn't draw this and you make it makes sense to you so hang in here with me all right so if you're taking notes you're watching online, draw two circles. And I want to talk to you about how we, first of all, expect persecution. And then here's how we endure it. See, we pursue comfort and ease so much in our walk with Christ that it leads to us, like I said, diminishing the power of the gospel. And we just don't realize it. So here's what you're going to put in the first circle. The first thing you do is pursue comfort. Pursue comfort. So when we pursue comfort... What ends up happening is we avoid opposition. So the second thing is avoid opposition. So we pursue comfort, avoid opposition. Pursue comfort, avoid opposition. So when we pursue comfort, so when we sit on the bench and it's okay, we don't care about getting in the game, we avoid opposition and playing in the game. We avoid getting in the game. We're pursuing that. Our faith weakens, okay? So we, when we pursue comfort, we avoid opposition and our faith weakens. Our faith in our ability to play in the game weakens. Our faith in the ability to make a difference weakens. Our faith in the ability to do something makes a difference. Like, we only think we can sit on the bench, and we were just made to sit on the bench, right? Like, that's what we believe if we pursue comfort. The fourth thing that happens from that is our life seems empty at that moment in time, right? So when we pursue comfort, we start by pursuing comfort. We avoid opposition. Our faith becomes weaker than it was when we first started. And all of a sudden, our life seems empty. 
that would be a lot of us in high school or college, right? <laughs> like or, or middle school and the, the dream sport or the dream instrument you wanted to play or the dream that you had just didn't come to life, right? Like that's how we would feel, right? Like we would pursue the comfort of it. And then after that, it's an endless cycle. So then we go pursue more comfort in something else. And then we avoid opposition. Then our faith gets even weaker. Then after our faith gets weaker, all of a sudden, all of a sudden in our life, it becomes more and more empty. And we start trying to fill this void. You're going to see where I'm going here in a minute. We start trying to fill this void with more comfort, with more ease. And we think that if we have just more comfort, if we have more peace, if we just had one more dollar in the bank account, if we just had one more house or one more car or one more thing, it's going to be okay. But you see that Christ didn't die for us to have comfort. He died for us to live boldly. So if you have that second circle and you know that persecution's coming, you're going to expect, you're going to endure it, but here's what you got to do. You've got to live boldly. And when you live boldly, you're not afraid to get in the game and face opposition. So live boldly, you will face opposition. When you boldly live your faith and you proclaim the name of Jesus, somebody's going to have something to say about it. I don't care who they are. Put, that, put it out on Twitter today and watch what happens. Things will go crazy, crazy. Somebody's got something to say about it. And most of the time, it's inside of our own family, right? Like somebody's got something to say about it, right? When we live boldly, we face opposition. But I don't know about you. When I live boldly and I face opposition, man, my faith grows. Your faith is going to be strengthened in that opposition. Like I look at the church, and man, it just got bigger and bigger all the way through the ages here. Because through the opposition, their faith that God is who he says he is grew. Jesus is promising me I will face persecution. My faith is growing as I walk through it. And the last thing that will do is bring me closer to Christ. This cycle will bring me closer to Christ. So, if I live boldly, I will face opposition. My faith will strengthen, and I'll walk closer with Christ. And every time I do that... I'm not afraid to take that next step of faith and boldly take it and believe that God's called me to do something greater and bigger. And when I do that, I know that I'm going to face more opposition. Like, as more things come, I'm going to face more opposition. More people are going to tell me that it's not right. More people are going to come against me. The world is going to try to come against me. The enemy is going to try to stop me. And in that, my faith will strengthen. And when my faith is strengthening, all of a sudden, I'll walk closer with Christ. Hey, if we go through this Reclaim series, I want you to think of the second circle this way. Instead of living boldly, maybe I hunger and thirst for righteousness. When I hunger and thirst for righteousness, man, when I face opposition, my heart is pure for righteousness' sake. So when I hunger and thirst for righteousness, my heart is pure. And when my faith is strengthened, I have peace. I'm a peacemaker. I'm a peacemaker in what I do. And what brings me closer to Christ is the persecution I face. So inside of this series of reclaiming the table, we have been living boldly to face opposition of people who don't want to meet at the table a lot. Our faith gets strengthened through it, and all of a sudden we're walking closer to Christ. So if you look at the title over these four weeks, when we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we will have purity in our heart. And when we have purity in our heart through that opposition that we face, our faith will be strengthened, which in essence makes us a peacemaker, and we walk closer to Christ even through the persecution. So my question is, and I wish I could tell you with 100% that I was A or B. Over the last seven days, where would you say you landed? Have you been living boldly or pursuing comfort? I wish I could tell you I was living boldly in everything I did. 
man, I wish I could tell you I had it all together and I could put a laundry list up here of, of how, I've, how I've lived and how I've been perfect at living boldly. But I want to tell you, every day, I try to live more and more bold. But sometimes that comfort just seems so nice. In the morning, those covers are so warm and toasty. <laughs> Even in the summer months, and I'm hot natured, they're warm and toasty, and they feel oh so good. But I know I need to get up, right? I know I'm not supposed to pursue that comfort. I need to live boldly. I need to, I need to dive in. God's called me to do something, whatever that is today. And I'll do that. Sometimes it's the friends I have. I want to pursue comfort with them. I, I think that pursuing peace would be keeping the peace more than being a peacemaker, right? Like we talked about last week. But instead, sometimes I have to live boldly. i got to operate out of grace and truth. i got to operate out of grace and truth, whatever that looks like. So my question is, are you living in comfort? Or even better yet, are you living reclaimed over these last seven days? If you're living boldly, you're living reclaimed. You're in the game. You're all in. You're ready to make a difference. You know the opposition's going to happen. And even if they dip you in wax and set you on fire, you will not deny the name of Jesus. If they burn everything you know to the ground, you know you've got Christ. It's a tough pill to swallow. But that's who he died. That's why he died for us. And so that nothing in this world will stop us from experiencing his peace and joy. So the last thing, only two hours left, y'all. The last thing that we're going to walk through is 1 Peter 4, verse 19. And it says this. So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good. You know, I asked earlier who's a control freak, right? Here's the other thing Jesus has just been reminding me of, being that control freak, is uh, not only should I see some things going wrong when I'm doing what's right because I'm going to face opposition, but as a control freak, I'm just called to, uh, it stinks because as a control freak, like the nerd's going to come out, so hang in here. So we're going to go back to geometry or algebra. Like I just remember the Pythagorean theorem, A squared plus B squared equals C squared, right? Like opposite plus adjacent equals hypotenuse. Like I remember those days. So in my life, I'm thinking in this time, like all of a sudden, I'm doing A squared and B squared, therefore I should get C squared. Yet so many times I'll do A squared plus B squared and I get X. And I'm like, what the heck? X? Where did this come from? Like, God, what's going on? And he's reminding me, hey, don't be surprised when opposition comes your way and there's a variable thrown in your life that you didn't know was going to be there when you're doing what's right. Hey, control freak Tyler, here's the thing. You do what's right, leave the results to me. That's the hardest thing to trust. You just do what's right. You take the next step I'm calling you to take and leave the results to me because if you'll do that, oh, the peace, the joy that you will fulfill. No matter what, you will feel that. You will see me do what I've called you to do. But the control freak in me is, okay, Jesus, I've saved money. I'm debt-free. I should be able to get this. I should be able to have this. I should be able to be at this point in my life. I should be able to do this. But that's not it. That's not what he's called us to do. So many times we can get stuck in that. We just got to do what's right and leave the results to him. That means in a job where people can be unethical, and you know that maybe being unethical could get you richer, you choose to be ethical. Because that's the right thing to do. And if they fire you for it, let them. Leave the result to God. That's the point. Wherever you are, maybe that's it. It's when you're raising your kid, do the right thing. Not what the world tells you to do. Do the right thing by your children. 
Do the right thing by your family. Not because of the result. Because you want them to achieve X. Or C squared you want them to achieve. And they go and be Y. It's okay. Let God go after the result. You trust him by doing what's right. Third thing that we have to do is embrace the persecution. So we've got to expect the persecution, endure being dipped in the wax, and then we've got to embrace it. We've got to know that it's happening. We've got to trust God all the way through our lives. So many times as a Christian, and the control freak in me is I want to control my dream and my legacy. I want to live the American dream. And yet so many times where we can get stuck is, like I said, the results are up to Christ. But when we look back through the ages, the church has always been strengthened by persecution. Remember at the beginning I told you the last 10 years we're the most persecuted that we've ever been in the church. And we take that for granted. We take that for granted right here where we are. Like, it's easy to call ourselves Christians here, right? Like, we got a church on every corner. We got two churches. It's kind of like a like Quick Trip or, or, or Exxon, whatever that is, or Sphinx here. Like, we've got them every corner. Like, it's it. And whenever one faces trouble, we just go bounce to the next one, and we go bounce to the next one, and it gets harder and harder to get all in and get all in and get all in and get all in all the way through. But yet across the world, the church is being persecuted. And will we take a stand with our brothers and sisters who are, or will we just sit back and be on the bench? That's the difference we get to make. So as we embrace this persecution, I want to say this. 1 Peter 5, and then we're going to be done here. 1 Peter 5 says this. 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 7, and then we're going to be at 10. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to elders, all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. We know this. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. This is the important part. So during the persecution, as we're embracing it, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast. Peter. What is it that Peter did before he was with Jesus? He was a fisherman, right? Like, and he cast. Like, this is a fishing term he's talking about. Like, cast all your anxiety. Throw it out there. Like, when, when, when Jesus was about to restore Peter after the resurrection, and he's sitting at the Sea of Galilee, and they're eating breakfast together, they've been trying to fish all night. Like, he says, cast your nets out, and the boat's overflowing. Like, all of this is happening. Like, if you're seeing Peter here, he's a fisherman. He knows what he's talking about, cast. So, in other words, even through this persecution, the weight that you're carrying that seems so overwhelming, cast it on Christ. Cast whatever you're going through on Christ. There's no weight that he can't handle. He's already defeated it. Through this persecution, through these people coming against you, through this opposition, cast it on Christ. But I want to hold it. <laughs> I want to carry it. I want to prove that I'm a strong man. I want to prove that I'm the world's strongest, right? He's saying, no, 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 no. You'll experience persecution. Expect it. Endure it and embrace it. And if we do that, man, the difference we will make is this. 1 Peter 5.10 says this. And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, just a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. After a little while. So my question is, as the persecution comes, are we taking it head on? Are we just sitting on the bench because it's easy? If we face it head on the way Christ has called us to, we understand that it lasts just for a little while. So as we've been doing this series called Reclaim, this is how I want to wrap it up. How we reclaim the table 
may be how we suffer the most persecution, but how we change the world with the hope of the gospel. How we reclaim the table may be where we suffer the most persecution with the people we eat with. Maybe where we suffer the most persecution, but maybe the exact way that we reach the world with the hope of the gospel. That family dinner where they make fun of you because you go to church on Sunday might be where your persecution's the biggest, but it may be how you get to show the hope of the gospel to them. Hey, that work event, that, that work cookout where it's four-letter words that aren't love, <laughs> they're four-letter words that people use all the time everywhere they go, like they just drop them left and right, and then you, you pray and they make fun, they talk during the whole time during your prayer, they're eating the food during the prayer, they're telling you to hurry up, or the ones that, that when the promotion comes up, you're praying about it, you're trying to figure it out, those that make fun of you may be your biggest persecution, but by sitting at the table with them, you may be able to bring the gospel to them. How crazy can that seem? How crazy is that? So how we live this reclaimed life and this reclaimed table could literally be how we suffer the most persecution, but how we reach the world with the gospel. Because around the world, coming to the table is a big deal. Being invited to the table is a big, big deal. And so that's where I want to end today. That's where I want us to be. That's where I want us to see that this whole series, this whole 30-day challenge isn't a checklist, isn't a checkbox <laughs> to try to just have something cool that we said we'd done to get a badge or a medal <laughs> or, or a stripe on our jacket. Yeah, you know, like it's not anything like that. It's not to say that, that this was just some, some thing that we decided and dreamed up to do. It's no, it's living a life that's echoed at a table, living a reclaimed life that's echoed at the table. And when we do that time and time again, we face opposition at the table with people who come with us. Our faith will be strengthened. And when our faith is strengthened, we walk closer to Jesus. And when we walk closer to Jesus, the people that come to our table will see Jesus more clearly. And it's a cycle that just continues to go, continues to go round and round. And the squeaky wheel gets the grease, and all of a sudden, we're doing something that we never thought imaginable. So as we get ready to pray and we get ready to sing, I just want to ask you, where are you at? In your life, are you pursuing comfort or are you pursuing being reclaimed? And it's okay, because sometimes I pursue comfort over being reclaimed. So in this moment, as we have worship, I just want you to live a reclaimed life. Don't be comfortable in this worship. Just lay down whatever weight you have, whatever you're carrying in this place. Lay it down. Cast it on Christ. Know that whatever you feel like is opposing you right now, whatever's coming against you, know that Christ has already defeated it. And if that doesn't give you peace stepping into Monday morning, stepping into what you're going through, I don't know what else will. Because no matter what you're going to face, that seems overwhelming. Christ has already beat it. Isn't that crazy awesome? No matter what you face, Christ has already beat it. So as we get ready to pray and we get ready to worship, I'm just going to ask everybody to bow their head in prayer and just lay down what you have to Jesus. Dear Jesus, thank you for this time together where we've got to lift your name high. And we've just got to be able to trust you to do what you've called us to do. Dear Lord, I pray that each and every one of us that are living lives of comfort, myself included in things, pray that we would lay that down and we would live a reclaimed life. I pray that the weight of the opposition that we feel right now, that we would understand as something that may actually be what signals we're walking closer to you because we're living boldly. Jesus, right now, we lay down whatever we have. We're casting all of our anxiety and fear upon you, and we're asking that we get to walk closer to you. So in this moment, as we get ready to worship, I pray that we would leave this place 
living a reclaimed life. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Now stand and sing with us. So maybe right now, uh, as you're sitting here and you thought about maybe these past seven days and you're singing this song and maybe you've never surrendered all. 
You know, it's great to talk about persecution. It's great to talk about joy. It's great to talk about salvation. But you don't know what peace feels like because you've never experienced who peace is. And peace can only be found in Christ. Peace can only be found in Jesus. See, here's the thing. We all have one thing in common. We're all sinners. Deserving of death for our sin. And because of that, we are separated from a God who loves us, a God who wants to have a relationship with us, a God who has prepared a table for us and a seat at the table. But we can't take it because the only way that we can be at the table is to receive Jesus. And how we do that is we believe he is who he says he is. We believe in the peace that only he can give. We believe that because of him dying for our sins and rising again on the third day that we can have peace that no matter what comes our way he is who he says he is and even as persecution comes our way as opposition comes our way he's already defeated it so maybe you're watching online or maybe you're here right now and I'm going to ask every head to bow and every eye to close because we do this every week because we want each and every person to know who Jesus is. Maybe you can't experience that peace because you've never surrendered all to Jesus. Maybe you haven't casted all your fear and anxiety on him. Maybe maybe you're in so much turmoil you don't know which way is up and I just want you to know today is your day to declare with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is and believe in your heart that he is Lord of all, that he died the death you deserve and rose again on the third day so that you may experience heaven on earth now. He lived the life you couldn't live. And so today I'm just going to offer this opportunity. It's not going to be the words of this prayer that save you. It's going to be the faith that Jesus is who he says he is. And we pray out loud in this house because we want you to know you have a family that's here with you that won't allow you to pray alone. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to ask everyone to repeat after me this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe I'm a sinner separated from you. I believe you lived the life that I couldn't live, died the death that I deserved for my sin, but loved me enough not to stay dead, but rose again on the third day. I surrender all to you. Teach me to follow you step by step the best way I know how for the rest of my life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, and whether you're watching online or maybe you're at the coffee shop, it's the middle of the week, or you're in your car going to work, I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask you to boldly live a life declaring Jesus as Lord of your life. And I'm going to count to three, and I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. So if that's you, and that's the first time you can say with faith that you have accepted Jesus is who he says he is, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. I'm going to ask you to hit the like button. I'm going to ask you to comment. I'm going to ask you to email us. One, two, three. If that's you and you're watching right now and you're, you're surrendering all you have to Christ, I'm going to ask you to let us know. And here's why. You're not walking through this alone. The crazy thing is, we know we're going to experience persecution, but Jesus made relationships in our life and created community inside the church so that we could walk with each other step by step through the ups and the downs. 
And so if that's you, we want to celebrate with you. Let us know. Shoot us an email at hello at divine.tv. Shoot us a text message or give us a call at 864-580-6698. Let us know because we want to celebrate with you. But I would be crazy if I didn't end this sermon to say, maybe you just need somebody to pray with you today. If you're in the house today, we can pray with you. I'd love to meet you in the garden after the service. We have people who want to pray with you. But maybe you're joining us online. You're like, how does somebody pray with me? Email us at prayer at divine.tv. That's prayer at divine.tv. We have people standing by who want to pray with you, whatever you're facing, and walk with you step by step through it. Take you five minutes. Shoot an email to us. Give us a call as well at 864-580-6698. And we would love to walk with you through that. And so as we end up every service, I'm going to ask everybody to throw their arm around somebody. We like to pray here alone. I'm just going to pray for us to live a reclaimed life this week. As I see folks crossing aisles and, and, and putting arms up, I love this. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to live boldly. You promised us the good things, but you also promised us that this world would come against us and this world would hate us for your name's sake. And then through that, Jesus, we get to walk closer to you. And in the end, isn't that what we want? Isn't that the most awesome thing in the world that we get to do that? Jesus, remind us today that even if we were the only person on the face of the earth that was a sinner, you would have still came and died for us. Blows me away. And so, Jesus, you also promised that persecution would come. So as we face that, Jesus, let us rally around each other. Let us lean into you, cast all we have onto you, Jesus. And let us experience the peace that only you can give. I pray that this week we wouldn't pursue a life of comfort, but we would pursue a life that is reclaimed, knowing that the opposition may come, but you've already beat it. And through that opposition, our faith will grow stronger and our walk with you will be better than ever. We love you, Lord. It's your name we pray. Amen. We can't wait to see you next week. Father's Day is next week. We've got a special guest speaker. Joel Candler will be bringing the message. So you come here. Let's fill this house up and have an awesome week next week. We'll see you then.